Good afternoon, Zinger Nation. My name is Logan Russ, and this is Moon or Bust, your home for all things crypto at Benzinga. Got Ryan here with me today. Ryan, how you doing? Doing well. Happy Mutant Monday as always, Logan. How are you? I am doing well on this fine Mutant Monday. Uh, you know, there's a lot going on, a lot to talk about. We will uh, get, get to all of it, hopefully, but I'm curious to know how you guys are doing out there in the chat. How is Zinger Nation feeling? Let us know in the chat down below. Drop your questions, comments, concerns, and your favorite style of mustard, uh, and we'll get on with today's show, Ryan. What do we have planned? I think it's fair to say that we will be pushing P today, Logan. We'll be talking about Polkadot. We're going to be talking about Pixelmon, and we'll be talking to Parallel Finance. So I'm really excited for that interview at 2.30. But before that, we're going to give you guys a rundown on Polkadot's ecosystem and talking about potentially the worst NFT to be released to date. Really historical <laughs> and groundbreaking stuff. <laughs> oh, man. It's gotten to the point where, uh, you know, the, the worst NFTs in this collection, the ugliest looking ones are actually the most desirable and the most collectible. Uh, and if that's not a sign of some, sort of some sort of shift in the market to come, I don't know what is. Um, but let us know what you guys are thinking. Uh, as always, make sure you follow us on Twitter. Links down in the description below. Uh, hit us up, send us a DM. We'd love to chat with you. And if you are an OG Mooner Bust fan, make sure that we know if we don't already. Uh, I want to say what's up to all the OGs who are out there in the chat. We got Brian Blockchain and back stateside for the first time in a while. We got Zolti. I uh, hope you're doing well, man. Welcome back. So glad to have you here in the office again. Um, but Ryan, should we just dive into the charts? Did I forget anything? Nah, let's do it. All right. So first off, let's take a look at the Bitcoin. So I have a screen share. Boom. All right. Can you see it? Yep. How are we looking? We are looking quite good. We really took off today from $30,000 range all the way up to $41,000. What do you make of this chart, Logan? Um, uh... You know, it's good. I'm excited, but I'm not, you know, too confident that we are entirely out of the woods yet. There's still a lot of uncertainty going on in the world, if that wasn't clear already. So, uh, you know, we ripped like this. I'm going to take a little bit of profits off the table. Watch, see what happens. Um, yeah. How about you, Ryan? What are you doing on this fine afternoon? I am zooming out. I am not doing anything. I think it's pretty indecisive at this point. Yeah, we did rip today and it does look pretty good on the daily candles, but I'm still not doing anything. I'm a macro investor, so I will not be taking any profits. Won't be buying here either though. So what type of macro trends are you looking at on a day like today instead? So we're always watching that bull market support band that we have there, the 20-week SMA and 21-week EMA. I'm waiting to get back up to that level. Something else interesting is support is now at $20,000. I think it's for the 200-day moving average. It might be for the 300-day, Logan. I'm not sure if you saw that, but we did cross $20,000. So now I'm thinking worst-case scenario, if we are in a long-term bear market, I don't see Bitcoin dropping below $20,000. There we go. That is what I like to hear everybody who bought the top in 2018 congratulations you're not going to lose all your money uh hopefully <laughs> all right let's take a look at the ether same same type of situation going on over here um not 
really anything notable between the two that I've picked up on. Ryan, how about yourself? No, it looks like that resistance line you drew got broken right through. Unfortunately, it looks like we might have to move that line up now. Hey, I mean, it's happened before, but it hasn't held. So maybe this line is still, okay. still an indicator of things to come. Fair. Uh, all right. Nothing too interesting over there. Let's take a look at coin market cap. I want to pull up the coins that you guys have your eyes on. So, Ryan, are you able to look at the chat for me? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see what's moving today. Solana, Harmony, and Bitcoin are trending. That is not what I'm used to seeing. Uh, you know, usually there's a couple E news in the top top three trending coins, but we have Solana up 10% on the day. Harmony up. 1% on the day, down 20% on the month. Uh, but Bitcoin is, you know, kind of setting the standard 5% on the day. Uh, anything absurd that catches your eye here, Ryan? Thank Zoom you. in a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, that helps. Mm -hmm. I'm not seeing e anything e too, too crazy. I've never heard of Ecomi. They're the 30th largest cryptocurrency now. This is not by market cap. This is the trending page. Is it still right. the 30th largest, though? I don't think so. It is the 200th. Okay. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, can you see the chat, Ryan? Yep, I'm not seeing too much. Patrick Starr wanted us to go over Axie. I know he's a big Axie player. Helped All you right. out when we were playing. What's Axie been up to? $50. We're green today. It's looking all right, but we were up to like $150 at its peak. Has not been sustained. Do you think we could see those all-time highs again this year, Logan? Do you think we have a, a long ways to go? What's up with Axie Infinity? Hmm. That's a good question. Um... I'm going to take the price chart off for a second, and maybe we can just chat about it a little bit. So I think with Axie, uh, they're pushing out a lot of new updates. A lot of cool new stuff appears to be coming on their end. So um, say that they deliver on all those things. I don't see a reason why I couldn't hit a new all-time high. I mean, Axie is, a, you know, the I think the most profitable NFT game or like the highest volume NFT project so uh i'd look for that to continue as long as they can continue to dominate their uh continue their domination in the in the play to earn space right uh, we're also going to see a lot of new market entrants this year so that's kind of the the other side of the argument is maybe we'll see axie lose that market share and it will never ever get to the speculative top that it got to uh you know just in the past year what do you think yeah, there's no doubt that Axie Infinity is the largest NFT game right now on Ethereum. I think there is a lot of potential for it in 2022. We see a focus on these NFT games, these play-to-earn games, but the price of the token really is kind of up to Axie Infinity. They've changed their token dynamics several times, so it really comes down to what the value of SLP is, what the value of Axie is, and the dynamics of the ecosystem that they're creating. So it'll be interesting to follow along, uh, but you know, I can't really make a prediction on the token right now. It's really in the hands of the developers at this point they do have a super solid user base which i think is really strong a very bullish signal uh but like i said i can't really make any predictions on it right now uh, i think that it is in the hands of developers devs please do something and speaking of devs doing something or nothing 
Uh, there is a like, pretty crazy NFT project release called Pixelmon happened over this weekend. And if you are on Twitter, I'm sure you have seen the memes. The Pixelmon memes are going crazy. If you've seen them, smash the like right now. Let us know if you're already hip. We're going to take a look at them and do a meme review in just a second. But one thing first, I want to warm us up. Antonio Brown meme gonna share my screen real quick so you guys can hear it uh it's it's pretty funny all right board punks nft this is like uh you know pretty pretty cliche pretty derivative board apes crypto punks why not just throw them together and have antonio brown promote it this is what this project did and here's how it turned out check out board punk nft really cool characters swaggy swaggy looks, looks. 100 discords 100 discords 100,000 discords 100,000 discords that's way more than 100 so many discords 100k sign up sign up Ryan, are you going to be signing up for one of these 100,000 discords? I will not be signing up. I think all 100,000 of those discords have been taken, unfortunately. Probably pretty hard to get a whitelist spot. Uh, but even if I got a whitelist spot, I wouldn't be minting at this point. Can't really trust those projects that have these big celebrity endorsements. Doesn't seem very organic. And it's a derivative of a derivative project. I mean, bored punks. Get more creative, and then maybe I'll buy your NFT. That's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, Mexican Crypt. I am just as confused as you are. Which Discord link do I join? There's 100,000 of them, but at least they got swaggy looks, right? That's the, that's the main selling point, I think, for this project. <laughs> oh, man, I wonder what the team thought when they paid Antonio Brown probably 50 or 100 bands to get this promo video. They get it back, and <laughs> he has no clue what he's talking about. They'll take what they can get, I guess. That's what it seems like. Oh, man. Uh, is this top signal or a bottom signal? <laughs> <laughs> Too early to tell. Too early to tell, indeed. All right, let's get over to those Pixelmon memes. If you guys are excited for the Pixelmon memes, smash the like button and send this to your goldfish. Um, you know, goldfish have to make money, too. They trade crypto, too. Don't discriminate. It's 2022. Uh, all right, meme time. Let's get it going. Share my screen once again. It sucks that I, if I want to share audio, I have to go to like select the new tab to share every single time. Um, devs, please do something. But okay, so here's here's the meme. Ryan, will you read it for us? Baby, you didn't nine thousand dollars out of your bank account yesterday. Is that what I think it is? Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, oh, and the funny part God. is this nft here uh, this little guy this pixel kevin kevin dubbed kevin is probably one of the most expensive in the collection i was browsing through OpenSea today i saw some of the previous sales and they were like 15 to twenty-five thousand dollars for that little guy right there well, let us know what you are you guys buying a kevin you want kevin I, I would like a kevin in my collection at this point it's such a good meme uh good meme for being a bad meme all right this this layout is not working so we're gonna go back give you the full screen memeage uh but let's just take a look at the pixelmon ryan i know you had some other ones uh linked in the document but if i'm missing anything in a second just let me know so this is basically what the expectation was this is what they were setting up for uh you know this amazing game with
my god that's <laughs> too good uh, when ryan is this this is your face when you wear your board ape yacht club hoodie to the club and no girls say anything <laughs> there's a, there's a lesson to be learned here right <laughs> what is it ryan tell me tell me what the to, lesson is you need to do your own research before blindlessly investing in an nft project you need to make sure these developers know what they're doing and they're not just going to use some copy and pasted pixel creatures for their project and at this point i don't know if they're going to even be releasing a game i mean it probably not they did make 70 million dollars so they have the funds to do so uh but last i heard according to crypto twitter the devs took a lot of those funds bought some board apes bought some other luxury items <laughs> so i will not be holding my breath until this game is created if i had a bet on it i would say it probably isn't going to get created I mean, they raised seventy million dollars. You could make the game for way less than that. the The question is really is, uh, should they have done the reveal? Should they have just like sold them and then waited like six months to do the reveal, or do they just reveal them and say, "Hey guys, we know these suck, but you know, well, this will hold you over for the meantime." I mean, it worked. Like everybody's talking about the project now because of the shitty art release. But the creator also said he regrets it. So, I mean, what's your, what's your take, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, they are getting a lot of press right now. I mean, we're talking about it. It's all over Twitter. It's on the news. I mean, it's everywhere. So I don't think it's necessarily a bad play, but they definitely are getting a lot of bad press from it. Seems super underdeveloped. And I think if people were baking on a fun, playable game, they might be questioning themselves now after seeing these creatures. So we can get ourselves a Kevin for the low, low price of one. Wait, no, that's an offer. It must have sold 3.7. <laughs> Three hours ago, Country Collector, stacking the Pixelmon. Uh, are there any other Kevins? How does this? I haven't yeah. even looked at this collection. Yeah, there are a lot of Kevins. Most of them do sell for over 3 ETH. The floor is like 0 0.3 ETH. Uh, but those are kind of for the lame ones. If you want a silly looking Pixelmon, you're going to have to spend a pretty penny. Jeez, man. Jeez. I hadn't seen any of these. These ones have a little bit cooler backgrounds and stuff. Um, maybe all of them do, and then just when it's in the game, it looks bad. Is that the situation here, or is this? I wouldn't say these look good because of the background. <laughs> I'm just trying to give them like the tiniest, maybe bit of encouragement. <laughs> I mean, nobody else out there is is doing it. So, no. what do you think they're gonna do with this art? If they're actually going to be creating a play to earn game, are they gonna keep this art? I mean, it's so crappy. Like, are they gonna upgrade their tokens, do you think? Change the art, change the metadata, so it's not as foolish when the actual game comes out? Uh, I suspect that they will. Uh, I don't know what else they would do, um, other than just like cancel the project altogether. So I suspect that they'll, uh, you know, fix it up, update the metadata, and then try to freeze it for, um, you know, the the rest of the time, but I don't know if it's going to pan out anymore. I think that everybody who was hyped about it, I mean, mint price was three Ethereum. Mint price was three Ethereum. <laughs> and this is what we got. That's, that's a red flag right there, though. Are you ever going to be minting an NFT at three Ethereum? I mean, Bored Apes were 0 0.08 Ethereum. CryptoPunks were free. Most of these big projects aren't asking for the moon unless they're already established. Like, Mutant Apes were around three ETH, but that's more understandable because it is an established brand and it's part of the Bored Ape Yacht Club. Uh, but yeah, it's usually a red flag to me, at least, seeing any mint that's over 0.25 ETH unless they're promising something big. Uh, like the Adidas 
Adidas one. That was pretty expensive. It was at 0.2 ETH, but they were promising Board 8 merch with that purchase. So that one makes sense. But a lot of these that are over 1 ETH, I mean, too expensive. It just comes off as a cash grab to me. Most definitely. That was a Dutch auction uh, or, or as Mexican Crypt is calling it, a Dutch oven, because uh, most of the investors got burned. All right. On the note of NFTs, on the topic, are, are there any plays you're looking at this week? Any purchases or sales you have lined up? Or if maybe not just a general, uh, you know, two-week outlook on the NFT market through this global turbulence? Logan, I'm mad at you. Why? You shilled me the heart project a couple weeks ago and I spent 0.6 ETH on my heart. Thought it was really cool. You told me, you know, I was getting a great deal congratulating me like I did something great with my life by buying one of these JPEGs. And then the floor goes down by 0.5 ETH. I lost all my money and you were promising that this was going to go to 10 ETH. What happened, Logan? Why is the price floor now 0.25 ETH on the hearts? Did you do something? Are you selling on me? Am I your exit liquidity? Give me answers. It's not financial advice, Ryan. I, I told you this. It's not it's not financial advice. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I assume the risk and I am holding, so I'll, I'll accept that answer. Uh, I, I feel like I got in at an okay price point. I mean, the price floor did go up to, what was what was the height of the 1. price 1.5. 1.5. So, yeah. I mean, the one I got was above the floor, maybe by around 50%. So I'm not too scared. I like the team behind it. They're doing some really cool stuff. Uh, and obviously the NFT markets are going to be very volatile. So it is to be expected. Uh, I never listen to your financial advice without assuming I'm at least going to lose some money. Uh, so I took everything with a grain of salt and I am prepared to lose some more money if need be. That is the way to do it, Ryan. And, and if you guys out there are holding the Hearts Project or have been following along with us talking about them, we're going to have a dedicated Hearts Project episode this Friday. Okay, so set your calendar, set your alarm. Uh, you don't want to miss it. We're going to be talking to Stefan Meyer, the artist behind the project, and maybe Aiden, the creator, will jump on as well. Um, but they have so much crazy stuff that's going on. They're about to introduce a token, complete new ecosystem, uh, you know, websites, a, a basically a social media for the heart holders and the creatives in the community to work together, build together, and it's going to be a, hopefully a very cool experience overall. I mean, they have the uh, like 25 people on their team, um, and I think that they're going to be pumping out some pretty cool stuff. I met them last week, and we'll have some very, very, very exciting stuff coming out about that project. So, uh, Ryan, I'm sorry for getting you in a little bit too early, uh, but you know that's the risks you're taking when you're playing in these speculative markets. The market can stay irrational longer than you can stay liquid. And that is the moral of the story here. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's okay. I, got, I mean, I got, my, I got my family in at like twice the price. So you're doing great in, in comparison. <laughs> hey, at least I didn't get those Coinbase calls you told me to get, right? <laughs> I'm only down 98% on the Coinbase calls. They will be coming back. I have, uh, you know, two hours left till expiration, so I'm going to make it. Don't worry. Just kidding. No, they, they don't expire. Half of them expire in a month. Half of them expire in four months. So, uh, you know, assuming that uh, uh, we're still around then, then hopefully Coinbase will be more attractive to retail consumers and they'll have their NFT platform out and... Uh, We'll have, finally have some exit liquidity that we've been waiting for all this time. 
That will be the day. Okay, so Logan, we have about 10 minutes until our interview with Parallel Finance, a big application on Polkadot's blockchain. But before we get into that, I think we should do a quick overview on Polkadot for those who may not be super familiar with the project. Lots of promising things coming out from Polkadot. They're like a a layer zero is what they call themselves, basically a blockchain of blockchains, a blockchain hub, the internet of blockchains. You've probably heard it before, but Logan, I'm curious to know, you know, what's the history of Polkadot? What are they all about? Uh, Can you give us an explanation? Ryan, I'm going to tell you all about Polkadot, but I need two things to need to get two things off my chest first. First up, shout out to Lord Osh in the chat. Thank you for the five. Uh, Go ahead and and drop the OpenSea link or, you know, whatever we can do to look it up uh, and we'll pull it up if we have time. Appreciate you. Second, uh, before I could talk about Polkadot, I need everybody right now to smash the like button, okay? So I'm going to run this song, and when it's over, we'll continue. But this is this is your cue. Go hit the like button right now. Go double click, exit full screen, scroll down. It's the one with the thumbs up. That's to the left of the one with the thumbs down. You click on that one, you make it blue, and then also just drop a comment. Say hi, say what's up. Uh, you know, if you're part of Zinger Nation, let us know. Subscribe to the channel. All right, time's up. So Polkadot. Um, Polkadot is the internet hub of blockchains, right? It was created by Ethereum co-founder Gavin Wood. Gavin Wood created the Ethereum virtual machine and the Solidity programming language. Vitalik was more of the idea guy, the concept behind it, right? Uh, So Gavin left the project along with most of the others co-founders because they didn't want to work for a nonprofit, which Vitalik wanted Ethereum to be. So they said, hey, I want to get these bands. I'm going to make my own new spin-off blockchain with smart contracts. So we got, you know, Car- Cardano, uh, which is, you know, so much fun. But then on the other hand, we got some cool projects like Polkadot. So, uh, you know, it's like a, it's like a hub and it has limited spots uh, or like, like spokes on the wheel. Kind of think about it like that. These are called parachains. And so there's limited number of parachains uh, each parachain has an application, and these parachains bid for one of the slots. Uh, these are called slot auctions. They've been going on, um, and they are still going on. I'm not too sure how many of the spots are filled up right now, but I have to guess it's probably below 20%. Yep. Um, and that is a really interesting way of doing it. So by by limiting the number of application block application specific blockchains that can be plugged into the hub, you automatically uh, you know require that these applications provide value to the ecosystem. You have to pay a lot of money to get your application plugged into the chain. Uh, and so if it's not profitable, if it's spam, then obviously it's disincentivized. Uh, makes sense to me, Ryan. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, that makes sense. I think we'll get a lot of high quality applications from Polkadot for that reason. It's kind of like Ethereum and Binance Smart Chain. We see a lot of scam projects in Binance Smart Chain because it only costs like 50 cents to deploy your own token. Then on Ethereum, it might cost $1,000 in gas fees. So at least there's you know some kind of filter there. So there's not a bunch of scammy projects on Ethereum. Uh, and I think Polkadot will take this one level farther. Yes, sir. We so, will see. Only time will tell. Um, what were you about to say, Ryan? So speaking of Polkadot's ecosystem, Logan, I'm not super familiar with it. Do you know of any of these applications right now that are coming out on Polkadot and what they're doing? So let's just take a look on the internet because I don't want to, to mess it up. But let's see, Polkadot 
uh, parachain auctions. If anybody uh, in the chat knows quicker than I do, um, please, please inform us. Uh, otherwise, we will ask our guests later on. But it seems like, okay, parachain.info. Um, Polkadot loans rewards rating. I'm just going to share my screen so that you can follow along with me. Um, all right. Let's see. Crowd loans on Polkadot. Got to pull it up. Oh, oop, oop, sorry about that. Uh, okay, here we go. So we have five winners so far. Efinity, Composable Finance, Centrifuge, Interlay, and Hydra DX. Equilibrium Node, uh, Litentry, Fala. These are all uh, at the top of the list to try to get the next slot auction. Um, yeah. So why are these projects building on Polkadot? Why not just build on Ethereum? Uh, well, I suppose that they believe in a cross-chain future or a more interoperable ecosystem than Ethereum. Ethereum is very, very general purpose, whereas Polkadot is made to harness more application-specific limited availability blockchains. So, um, you know, potentially... They have a philosophical reason for building on Polkadot. Alternatively, they have the uh, financial reason for building on Polkadot is that they think uh, they can capture more of uh, you know, the hype surrounding the new DeFi ecosystem and industry that is being funded through Polkadot instead of being funneled through Ethereum. Um, a lot of these applications are similar or have um, similar types on Ethereum. So... Uh, you know, obviously, if Polkadot is going to succeed, there's a bunch of money that's already being poured into it. We're going to need applications on that, too. Yes, no, maybe so? I think that makes sense. All righty. Um, let's see here. What time is it? We have uh, our interview should should be starting pretty soon. Um, but let's talk about maybe a couple different parts of the Polkadot ecosystem. Um, so first off, we, we could talk bridges for a second. Moon River is the big bridge between Ethereum and Polkadot. So, uh, you know, this is one that I've had my eyes on for quite a while now, Ryan. I know you're a little bit newer to the, the Polkadot ecosystem. I'm curious to hear what applications, if any, have, uh, you know, struck your fancy so far. Now, I don't have any projects I'm looking at on Polkadot right now. I think there will be some niches that uh, come up on Polkadot that will probably be really good investments. None that I have my eye on right now, uh, but we're in the really, really early stages, right? So there's 100 parachains coming out. We have about like five to 10 now, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure at least. So those are all still in development. Some of them have tokens released, some of them don't. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I'm not invested in any Polkadot projects at the moment. Uh, but I will keep my eye on it for sure. We're early on, so there's going to be lots of new opportunities. Yeah, likewise. It's a bit hard to... I don't think you can, uh, as a U.S. resident, I don't think that you can participate in the crowd loans uh, legally or just as a retail investor. Um, so that's kind of keeping it out of the limelight in uh, the States at least. But I know that a lot of people out there are really excited about them. It's been a cool process to follow along with. I did a panel... 
uh, for the Benzinga Crypto Festival last year, where I talked to some people in the Polkadot ecosystem. I talked to someone from uh, from Centrifuge, from Akala, uh, and I think that there was one more I can't really remember right now. Um, but we will hopefully be talking to Parallel today. Uh, and let's not dive into it yet. I don't want to give it all away. I think Yubo will explain it a lot better than I ever could. Uh, he seems to be some sort of wicked genius. Ryan, 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 how you doing? Um, I'm doing all right. I feel a little underexposed to fungible tokens right now. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, definitely. I, I like have very little ETH left. Uh, and when I say very little, I mean very little. Uh, so I've listed like a couple of my ENS domains, a couple NFTs um, for a, a bit better of deals, um, you know, just for like a week or two weeks or a month. Just went through and enlisted a bunch of them to see if I can grab some ETH before the uh, rocket ship up that that may be coming around the corner. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to get a little more color on the situation, Logan. You think we can pull up OpenSea? Maybe look at your profile, see what you're convicted on, what you're holding onto for now, what you're uh, have your eyes on to sell, and we can go from there. All right, we could do it. I'll he I'll hear it. Uh, okay, so let's see. This is my hot Whoa, wallet. That's a lot of crypto punks. Yeah, man, I, I'm uh, I'm oil. What can I tell you? Um, okay, so I listed this underestimate one ETH. I feel like if if ENS domains really have the bubble that I expect them to, I'm gonna be pissed that I let this go for one ETH. But right now they're not really, excuse me, they're not really selling like that. So we'll see. I also listed this for what I feel like is a steal. Um, you know, if I had the, the ETH liquid, I would consider buying this, I think, um, if only I could read it. <laughs> and then this one, this is one of my prized possessions, okay? I'm going to sell this to Coca-Cola and buy an island with the returns, but today only, actually seven days only, I have it listed for five Ethereum. You hear that Coca-Cola and Pepsi and Anheuser-Busch and all those other big beverage companies out there. Big beverage will get you, and uh, I'll, I'll sell you this ENS domain, refreshments.eth. It's refreshing, and it could be your digital brand. Hit me up. <laughs> All right. I think that Yubo is backstage. Yes, indeed he is. So let's bring him up and get the interview started. Yubo, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, hello. Thank you. Really, uh, really glad to join the, the podcast for the interview here. Yeah, thank you. So a uh, little bit of background, Yubo. You went to Stanford and dropped yeah. out. Then you went back to Stanford and dropped out again. Besides yeah. dropping out, what are some of your other hobbies? Dropping in. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, love, uh, I love a lot of outdoor activities. Uh, go for hiking, uh, travels, um, play some sports, uh, games, and I think uh, pretty broad. And I also love uh, science. So sometimes would actually get involved with like a lot of really interesting scientific discussions with, um, with, with, with fellow friends. Awesome. So Yubo, you are a founder and a builder. What are some of your most proud accomplishments you've had? Yeah, I think um, probably, hmm. well, as a builder, uh, we had built a protocol that had been used by 
over you know half a billion worth of capital uh, with two hundred thousand users, I think is pretty uh, you know is a great uh, result that I'm pretty happy to see. And then as an investor, I have been supportive for uh, over forty different portfolios since a very early stage. Some of them, you know, I invested and in, bring them into the crypto space, and I think that is another really, um, <clears throat> you know, things that I'm really proud of because, uh, you know, I trying to I'm trying to support like more uh, people to become entrepreneurs. I even said that everyone should be a, a founder at least once in their lifetime, even if it's you know, uh, it could be hard, but I think it's really um, it's 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 a it's a journey that really help people understand what they wanted to do and then force them to learn a lot. Yeah, I love that. Yubo, when did you get into the crypto space or first become interested? I think it's around uh, five years ago. Um, and then that was early 2017. So I got involved as a uh, investor first and then later on started to build protocols. Awesome. And when and why did you decide to create 8 Decimal Capital and what is 8 Decimal Capital? So 8 Decimal Capital, it's a... Um, uh, blockchain-focused early-stage uh, VC fund. Uh, I mean, in 2017, it was early. Not many uh, funds that are specialized in the space. I mean, just a couple. And um, especially the idea here is to invest into first, like, younger uh, founders because I started the fund when I was probably 20, 21-ish. Um, so I think, relatively you know, speaking, we try to support, like, younger founders, especially, like, college dropout. And second of all, try to support... Um, like purely crypto native driven company, because at that time I was working previously working at a traditional VC fund that I only invest into equity. Uh, they are really against crypto because of the LP agreements or what have you. And so that was a specialized uh, fund that just to support, you know, sort of initial like um, <clears throat> stage of, uh, you know, sort of, sort of Web3 founders. And um, we raised around, uh, we raised over uh, $60 million from family office institutions and then um, we sort of expand the team toward a few partners to invest so yeah i think the reason we started with that is because um well i think it's technically because i was working in the vc space and also uh you know started another fund with a couple partners before so i'm kind of directly familiar with the space and then you know it's super obvious to launch and before that i was the founder to launch a uh fintech education-based company out of China. And then that was uh, pretty much uh, at the end of the, the high school time. Um, so I have some background into fintech and understand a bit about crypto before full-time jumping into crypto. You both starting a huge VC fund at such a young age, were there people out there that, that doubted you or questioned you? Uh, and how did you deal with this? Yeah, many people doubt it. Um, well, I am <laughs> very familiar with this. So the, the, the strategy that we choose, that I choose is that uh, I have less in-person meeting, but I have a lot of online meetings, especially like just call, because when I call them, they wouldn't know how old I am. Mm. And uh, they listen, they sound like someone that is older, <laughs> so that they can, uh, they can trust. It was tough, actually. It's really tough. Let me share a story. So the... I think when I was 18, when I first started um, a, a company called Alisimba, and we tried to build uh, a hardware uh, solution for parents and children to help them learn um, financial habits. And um, we need to build it, right? So we talked to manufacturers in Shenzhen. Um, and 
and then the the you know I, I use that strategy basically I call them um, I would use phone call to call them and then they think that this is a great deal because we want to manufacture over ten thousand units and then they said that hey you actually got to meet us in person <laughs> so I meet in person with them and I opened the door and saw their uh, the you know the the owners of the of the manufacturer shop. And then he called me, um, when is your father going to arrive? <laughs> I, was like, oh. I said, no, it's me. They're like, what? <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's fun. But um, um, they'll actually tell me that, uh, try it. And then until people realize that, okay, you know, it's, it's fun to do, do business with like young, younger generation and accept that, I think. So. Super motivational. And did you close that deal? Yes. <laughs> so it's Love funny it. because I did close the deal. Um, and I spent a lot of time to drink tea with them because that's a pretty big culture. And then also like play some golf and just, you know, get involved with their activities. And I think, yeah, they understand. So, um, and also we're clients, right? We're paying them to do stuff. And I feel like, yeah, it's, uh, it's not that hard, but it's harder when you sell something to people. So, right. Money yeah. talks. So since then, you've been working on Parallel. What is that? Yes. Um, since 2021, 20, so 10 months to ago-ish, 10, 11 months ago. And what is Parallel about? Um, so Parallel is a, um, a um, DeFi uh, platform, and we build multiple protocols. So unlike Compound, Aave, or kind of uh, individual-based DeFi protocols, we actually build a whole suite of uh, interconnected and uh, composable DeFi protocols. So that involves with the basic money markets, with liquid staking protocol, uh, trading, and a few other mechanisms so that the capital efficiency is super high because your capital are used uh, through both lending, staking, and a few other stuff. So the yield is pretty high. And we also choose to build on a lot of the alternative layer one blockchain to get started. So we start with Polkadot as a niche start. And, um, and then we are going to expand toward uh, Ethereum layer two and then a few other, um, uh, you know, like um, I think blockchains or uh, layer twos that would have a lot of tractions over time. After having so much success in the venture capital space, why go back to a startup? Um, because I think um, starting companies is um, and helping the world more than being an investor. Um, you can invest uh, a thousand companies and then some of them can be very successful. Um, but ultimately, um, if you really want to push the boundary of innovation, uh, and I think the most direct way is to actually start something and then to challenge the status quo and then push the products that really people really need uh, faster and, uh, and earlier. And then being an investor is a great way to amass, um, to accumulate capital and wealth. But in the end, this is just number. Uh, you can't really bring those number uh, with you when you pass away. Um, I think something that is important is to leave a uh, important, uh, you know, influence and legacy toward um, <clears throat> potentially millions of users out there or billions of users out there that they can either change their life or they can be motivated to do something, you know, they truly love to do. Billion is a really, really big number, but that's yes. your goal is to onboard a billion people into DeFi. How are you trying to do this? And what do you think is the uh, earliest we could see a billion DeFi users? Um, so we are doing by three steps. First of all, we want to start with a uh, niche market. 
Um, and then second, and when we want to dominate the niche markets. And then the second step for us is to, uh, can you guys still hear me? Yep. Yep. Okay, cool. So the first step is to dominate a niche market. The second step is to um, build applications across multiple chains. Um, and then uh, the third step is to actually bring, um, to build an on-ramp and off-ramp for fiat and then uh, try to be more compliant and then bring uh, retail users to be on board. So the overall idea here is to build uh, tractions and market share first with uh, the markets that are easier to take over. Uh, and then we actually did. We are one of the largest uh, DeFi provider in the Polkadot space. As I said, over 200,000 users. So we're like two basis point away from where like um, we still need to be like 10,000 times uh, bigger in our user base toward uh, 10 uh, billion, billion user. And but then we have a lot of institutional clients that can transfer their asset when we build on ESL2, when we build on other alternative L1s. And the number three is when we have enough sort of uh, DeFi protocol and uh, user base, then we want to build this sort of, you know, wallets and front-end layers that actually make uh, the experience simple and uh, to let normal people to use easily. And did Parallel get support from the Web3 Foundation? Yes. Uh, so we had uh, grants from Web3 uh, Foundations. So is it grants and dev support or just grants from Web3 Foundation? Um, grants, dev supports, and then um, I think they have something called Separate Builder Program. It's uh, it's another program that supports us as well in terms of both dev and some strategy and just some internal help as well. Very cool. And is Parallel more of a multi-chain platform or a cross-chain platform? Or at least what is the goal of Parallel? Is it more to be multi-chain or cross-chain? Yeah, I don't think that is contradictory because uh, if you think about blockchain as a country uh, and then there can be many cities and there can be cities interconnected. So I think for us, we care about a billion user the most. So I think um, if they wanted to use one of the blockchain or the other blockchain, we wanted to build awesome interface and awesome protocols for them to help them better uh, solve their financial demands. Um, so I think it will be both. On one hand, it will be, you know, blockchains, uh, applications or protocols across alternative layer ones. That's more of, you know, across multiple blockchains, but also as well, multi-chain, what have you defined. And then we also build on top of, let's say, ETH, and there are multiple L2s and L3 and L4. And that's going to be across those smaller uh, set of, uh, you know, uh, layers of blockchains. And I think that that's where uh, the, you know, majority of the volume is going to go in the next two, three years in, on ETH, right? L2 is eating L1, and then eventually maybe L3 is eating L2. We'll see the, the trend in the next few years. That makes a lot of sense. And what's your roadmap toward decentralization look like? Um, so decentralization really matters to us. However, at the beginning stage, we are, uh, you know, we need uh, efficiency. Uh, so I think in general, we're taking an approach where we take around uh, half a year to sort of do R&D and then take another you know, have a year to gradually transition toward complete decentralization and then let the community and then the actual token owners to run the protocol. Very cool. And what kind of incentives do you have in place for early users on Parallel? So um, early users get liquidity mining rewards by providing, um, using the platform, providing liquidity and um, and then, you know, even refer to their friends. And so um, um, we have a structure program called the liquidity in uh, mining programs, um, and then the governance voting uh, can decide on 
what uh, how long the program can be how much token to rewards and then what type of behavior we want to incentivize um so it's it's there's no fixed um you know amounts or fixed time frame it really depends on how the community is going to decide are you testing that out on kusama by yes. chance yes very cool this is actually what we are doing testing on kusama and then eventually launch on dots and then eventually launch on like other blockchains Uh, Ryan, is that your last question? Yep. All right, Yubo, does decentralization matter to retail users? I think um, it's not the top priority unless some centralized party really, really fucked up something. Uh, for example, they take the money away, freeze their accounts, stop trading for specific trading pairs or whatever. Um, so that would actually make retail realize how important decentralization is. But if it doesn't happen, I think people care about security, liquidity, and 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 then the return over decentralization. Decentralization, I'll uh, say like number three to number four priority, um, and and depends on the you know if this is the peacetime or the wartime. If it's during the wartime, people might care more about decentralization, especially in the areas that the assets are vulnerable. Interesting. So, do you see this narrative changing over you know the the next few months? Uh with the global events that are going on right now? Yes, it will. So um, we are seeing this sort of um, sort of bipolar, you know, lizations uh, of the global like uh, conflicts between uh, sort of um, <laughs> the, the Western versus, you know, Russia plus maybe China, maybe other countries. And so the um, the conflict is actually accelerating and uh, we seeing we see that as actually a um, events that triggers more people realize that first of all decentralization actually matters um, and second of all the uh, cryptocurrency and, and DeFi can be a, a perfect uh, parallel financial system that people can use uh, while the nuclear um, sort of the nuclear bomb for uh, finance is you know is, is actually happening so uh, Russian has been kicked out by the SWIFT system uh, and which actually means that the, um, <clears throat> I think some group of people would actually require this, this mechanism or like decentralized finance mechanism. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And we also saw Ukraine use it to, um, you know, crowdsource funding for their defense operation, which was, uh, you know, amazing to see. I, I'm really hoping personally that we don't see these narratives get mixed up if China or if, excuse me, if Russia uses crypto and decentralized money to go around sanctions, um, you know, it could be uh, uh, not not the best narrative or That's thing to have your, your name. Exactly, exactly. But nobody will pay attention to the fact that Ukraine is, uh, you know, raising tens of millions of dollars using it instead. Um, I guess we'll have to we'll have to see what happens, but fingers crossed. Hopefully, we can we can figure this out, and it will uh, be somewhat net positive for the future. So, um, speaking about the future, Vitalik uh, ha has had some thoughts. He's pessimistic on cross-chain applications long term. Um, he thinks that you know there are inherent security limit limits to bridges. Now, yeah. Shortly after he said that, we saw the wormhole hack. What are your thoughts on this debate? I think actually he's right. Um, the bridge inherently is uh, not secure. Um, it's you're trying to connect two heterogeneous blockchain with a relatively speaking uh, a centralized, uh, relatively speaking centralized uh, group of validators to listen to events and vote for what happens. And it's 
vulnerable because of the amounts of asset that has been bridged versus the amount of capital that is held by the middle sort of validators. It's uh, there are enough incentives to actually attack, and you can't really solve that. So um, what I can see is that the future blockchain might look like uh, a group of countries um, that you can talk to each other, you can do cross country travel, but it's not that easy, not that safe. Uh, but within a country, right, the communication system is relatively speaking advanced, right? So for example, within ETH, if you want to talk within two different L2s, you know, the security measurement is actually pretty high because worst case, you can go back to L1 and then, and then transfer your fund to another uh, contract and then go back to another L2 uh, if the bridge doesn't really work that well, right? Uh, worst case, you just wait some time, but then you are not going to lose your money. Uh, for example, Polkadot, they have this something called a cross-chain messaging protocol, XCM. So across multiple uh, parachains, the communication and cross-chain transfer is actually more secure. But across, let's say, DOT toward Ethereum or Ethereum toward uh, Solana and all of that might be involved with uh, unsolvable uh, long-term security uh, in, uh, you know, measurements. So I think we'll see more activities within the country that interact with each other and then uh, less activities in between different bridge and sometimes even relies on some centralized parties, right? Maybe go through Coinbase, Coinbase give money to you if you trust them. So. Yuba, we see endless uh, profile picture NFT collections out there right now, but what's one other application of NFTs that excites you for the future? I think um, NFT, the most exciting two things for NFT market is one, um, the financialization of NFT markets, where NFT holders can be able to uh, collateralize their NFT, get access to credit line. On the other hand, um, NFT holders or uh, any ERC-20 holders can pay interest and rents to rent a specific NFT that they need at a specific date of time uh, to enjoy the usage or uh, utility. For example, you can rent NFT for gaming use case or rent NFT for real life activities or you know, ticketing use case or uh, some economics, right? For example, royalty points or airdrop or what have you. So having a marketplace for rent and borrow and lending will be, um, I think, a very exciting direction. Um, besides that, I think uh, on-chain price appraisal is very important. Uh, there isn't any uh, good oracle for the price of NFT. And inherently, the price of NFTs are very subjective. Um, it's not, there aren't any source of truth. And I'll give you examples, uh, a friend really want to buy NFT really because that NFT looked like his wife. And so you got the super subjective, you know, valuation of the NFT and how do you aggregate the crowd with them to give a relatively speaking, uh, objective pricing of that NFT can be a very interesting, I think, uh, problem to solve. And if that's solved, I think the market will be way more efficient to deal with all of the financial financializations of NFT markets. And in the long term, NFT is a huge market. I think 99% of the world are, uh, from a quantity perspective, are NFTs. They're not fungible. Your, you know, like your um, phone, your water bottle, what have you, right? That's different than the other one, all of the asset. And then eventually all of them will be on chain. So solving the on-chain appraisal pricing for the NFTs plus financialization will be a really big topic and big blue ocean opportunity for the next, um, I think, one, two, three, four years. Fascinating. 
Yubo, these are amazing answers. I want to keep it going. I want to toss it out to the chat. If you guys have any questions, please, please, please drop them in the chat below. We have about five minutes left. But Ryan, I'm curious, do you have any questions? Uh, Logan, I see you have one on here that's pretty interesting about Polkadot. Uh, Yubo, I'm curious to know, what do you think Polkadot's biggest roadblock is right now to either adoption or from a technological standpoint? I think the biggest uh, roadblock for Polkadot will be um, adoptions. Uh, so every single blockchain are essentially competing for uh, app uh, for application developers. And then uh, the application developers have limited bandwidth of which what type of blockchain and language they have to learn and what type of uh, application they can build to serve customer demand. So the more people develop on a specific blockchain, uh, the higher network effect and higher value per uh, you know developer per blockchain going to go. And so um, Polkadot, uh, I think, would want to attract more developers and better uh, I guess the enterprise to build on top and to actually um, build this sort of um, better network effect because uh, the whole premise of Polkadot is that you can uh, connect with different uh, parachains to talk to each other and to also uh, help any uh, company to launch or uh, you know anyone to launch a blockchain without uh, running validators without uh, going through the complicated process of you know getting consensus so um, the technologies are great, but at the same time, the amount of developers, amount of application that I have seen is a lot less than what happened on the Ethereum ecosystem. So um, it's also not about the quantity, it's about the quality of like talented developers and very uh, prominent enterprise to build unique applications that can be only enabled by uh, Polkadot, um, then copy what happened on other uh, blockchains like ETH. And uh, that could inherently, um, you know, attract more, um, uh, you know, developers to build on top. And so education is needed, um, better, you know, sort of ecosystem programs, um, network supports, and, and a few other stuff is actually need to really grow the ecosystem. So do you think only having 100 parachains is limiting for Polkadot since they need more developers? Yeah, so <clears throat> there is some technical um, barrier because each blockchain is a shard. Um, there are actually inherent uh, limitation of how many shards a blockchain can theoretically limit, uh, like validate, right? Because the validation process is taking control, taken over by the relay chain. Um, and I think 100 uh, parachain might be enough if each of the blockchain, if, if, if uh, the parachain can build its own uh, smaller set of ecosystem where um, the ecosystem itself can attract additional uh, developers to build on top. For example, uh, parallel is a application-focused uh, parachain. However, in the long term, uh, we are able to open up the uh, development resources and the capability to let other people to run uh, arbitrary uh, uh, applications on our chain so that we can build a subset of ecosystem on top. Um, so I think with that being said, 100 parachains should be enough if the quality of those parachains are high. If you just sort of copy a bunch of like whatever, what have you on the other chains, then I think it's not going to going to, you know, really provide, uh, you know, like um, additional value or externalities toward other parachains. Awesome. Yubo, this has been absolutely incredible. Thank you so, so, so much. Um, to everybody out there who is curious about Parallel and the things you're working on, uh, I've dropped the links to all of that in the chat. Um, but Yubo, if you could uh, briefly say, why should somebody go check out Parallel? Um, what would you say to that? I think um, because Parallel is trying to bring um, DeFi and Web3 to a billion people, 
and uh, you might be that, that billion people to use our products. So check it out <laughs> or maybe join us. <laughs> so I know you're hiring as well. Um, so all of that can be found in the chat below. I wish we had more time, um, but we have about 30 seconds left. We'll get to this one chat question. Uh, what blockchain do you believe has the most usability and scalability? Mm. The most usability and uh, scalability. Um, I think I like, um, honestly, I like all of the blockchains. And I would say that... Um, Take a look at all the layer twos. Um, it has a similar usability as Ethereum layer one. You can share the similar tool base, but at the same time, it's super scalable. I would say a lot of the L2s are relatively speaking centralized. The sequencers are run by a party, but in the long term, they will be decentralized. So if you trade off the centralization, decentralization to optimize for usability and scalability, I would say L2 can be a really good choice. Beautiful. So much to unpack and think about. We'd love to have you back on again, um, but that's all we have time for today. So thank you so much. Great talking to you. Yeah, thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you. Wow, Ryan, that was incredible. One of the best interviews we've had in a long, long time. Uh, I'm going to have to go back and watch it right away. Um, is there anything you want to, to mention uh, or say closing thoughts on this Mutant Monday afternoon? Nah, I think we covered everything, Logan. That was a super exciting interview, and he likes college dropouts, so I'm looking at you. Yeah, I already DM'd him. I said, let's let's stay in touch. I'm a young dropout with a couple businesses. Um, but yeah, thank you, everybody who tuned in today. Um, loved the jokes in the comments earlier and the support for the project at the end. Great episode. Love you all, Zinger Nation. That is all we have time for, so stay tuned for pre-market prep. At the close, you'll be redirected automatically, so don't touch anything except for the like button. If you haven't hit the like button yet, what are you waiting for? Do it right now. Do it well. Do it right before it's redirecting. I'll give you three seconds. Three, smash the like button. Two, smash the like button. One, see you guys later. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.